Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, Age of Ultron. We're talking about Age of Ultron number six. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, standing in for Ben J. Morse this week, joined by... Tom Freeford. And joined by... Janine Schaefer. So, I'm just... We're just winging a prayer here this week. Uh, we're going to have some, some fun and see it's what like it's a, like. It's like a big change. It's like Age of Ultron itself. In the same way that now, in number six... After five consecutive issues by Brian Hitch, there is a new artistic palette on the page. So, too, in this podcast, is there a completely different vibe because it is run by different people? It's wonderful. I love that. That's perfect, Tom. Thank you. And we're not going to be speaking Spanish this podcast, uh, so if, uh, if you hear Spanish, that means we made a mistake in the editing process. Uh, all right, so first up, I've got a big list of questions from Ben. I'm going to dive right into them. Uh, both Age of Ultron number six and Wolverine and the X Men tie-in, uh, which was twenty-seven AU. Yep, twenty-seven. Correct? Ow, ow. Uh, they're both set at least part in the past. What was the process for def- deciding where the stories fit into the Marvel history, and how much research went into making uh, matching up with those classic stories? Well, in terms of figuring out where the stories went, it was pretty simple. Uh, Wolverine had to go back to before Ultron was created in order to prevent Ultron from being created. So we looked at where that happened, and we had him go back to right before that, which is around the time of Avengers 42. Um, In terms of the other comics and stories and flashbacks and things that you see in the Wolverine issue, that's all the stuff that was going on at around the same time in the Marvel Universe. But... it was cool. I love. I particularly love Carlos's Dragon Man, uh, like on the table, <laughs> yeah, and that that yeah. scene right yeah. there. I was like, "That's, that's awesome." That yeah, was he's uh, he's 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 uh, he's always in his element when he's doing stuff like that. He, these are all comics he read when he was a kid. Uh, he read them ten years after everybody else because he read them when they were reprinted in Spain. Um, but uh, you know, this is like real formative material for him. Cool. Uh, Janine, working in a separate office entirely from Tom and the editorial crew working on the main Age of Ultron story. It's so much better. (laughs) (laughs) How do you go about coordinating your tie-in like this? Uh, Well, I... I, Tom has a chair in his office that I lived in for (laughs) a couple weeks. Um, No, I mean, they're awesome. Tom's office is awesome. They got me everything from Age of Ultron before leading up to this and past that so that we could sort of take a look and see what would line up and how it would line up and then I just pestered Tom every five minutes with questions and details and <laughs> he enlightened me. And so uh, on the book, uh, which is normally Jason Aaron as writer and you've got a couple of great artists on it, uh, for this issue I have Matt Kent and Paco Medina, mm-hmm. which awesome creative team. Yeah, yeah. Why those guys? How do they fit into everything? Specifically with Matt, I really love his stuff so much um, and I think he thinks about comics differently or in a very specific sort of way um if you look at revolver and you look at my management he uses like the process of making comics as a part of the comic so i thought this would be really cool uh to bring him into this sort of finding a story within a story within a story and figuring out how to make that mesh with older comics especially when tom when we started breaking down what the plot would be uh tom issued a challenge which was I dare you to use, to find a way to repurpose the old art within the confines of the story and not make it feel like, oh, we're just doing a flashback and here's right. a bunch of old art, you know? Uh, so I thought Matt was really the perfect choice and he was so great about digging into those old stories and finding the 
sub subtext of it and bringing some new meaning to it. So that was really awesome. And Paco Medina is amazing. And we were talking about who could do it. His name came up to fit in the schedule, and I immediately was like, mine, yeah. mine now. I remember <laughs> back in the day I was at Wizard, and he was on New X-Men with uh, Chris and Craig. And that was like the first time I had seen his art, and it was like, that guy's going to be mm-hmm. yeah. something special. Yeah. Yeah. And he is. I love him. I love his Sue so much. He did such a great job. Yeah. Um, so, Age of Ultron number six was the first issue without Brian Hitch and had two artists, like you mentioned. Uh, we have Carlos Pacheco and Brandon Peterson. How did the transition go, and how was it bouncing between the different guys and the different styles for their parts of the issue? Well, I mean, the, the, the switchover is pretty seamless in that, as you kind of see, it's very story-based. That we're at a point in the story that we knew we were going to get to at a certain point where certain characters were going to travel into the future and certain characters were going to travel into the past. And so getting a different artist to do each of those two venues kind of worked out and, and made sense and let you even sort of visually separate them as you're cutting back and forth between the two throughout the course of the comic. Um, both Brandon and Carlos had worked with Brian uh, relatively recently at the very end of his uh, New Avengers and Avengers run. Um, they were guys that, that he wanted to do more with. Uh, they fit in pretty well. Brandon's got this sort of you know slick, techy sort of a style that really uh, lends itself to doing a future where Ultron has taken over everything and nothing's left but flying Ultron heads and <laughs> bits of metal. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Carlos, like I said, in terms of going to the, you know, into the past and going back to the comics of that, that era, those are all stories that he uh, has a real personal uh, love of and familiarity with. So it was a, you know, a pretty easy thing to say, hey, we're going to do this story and we're going to go back into... Avengers 42, and he would say, that is the one in which... <laughs> this is they, my favorite. They, they, fight, uh, they contend with the uh, Dragon Man. <laughs> uh, yes, you get to draw Dragon Man, that's right. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty seamless uh, bit of choreography, and, you know, you'll see how that kind of continues ahead into 7 and 8 and 9 as we, as we move through the rest of the, of the story. Very cool. Uh, so Ben says, you guys talked about it last time, but why is Wolverine seemingly the only one even willing to consider the idea of killing Hank Pym to stop Ultron, let alone being the only one to really act on it. Well, he's certainly the only one uh, here, or one of two, really, uh, who acts on it. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily the only one who's willing. One of the things that Brian pointed out in an interview uh, the last couple of days, and I thought it was a pretty salient point, is that you know, in issue five, before everybody takes off, Wolverine says, you know, we should go back and, and, and take care of this, you know, rip this out at the, at the roots. We should go back and deal with Hank Pym in the past. No going ahead and fighting Ultron. And, you know, Cap and the other guys say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then they all leave him there <laughs> with the time machine. And so, you know, there's a certain level on which you kind of have to ask yourself, well, you know, is Cap really uh, cutting off this avenue? Or is he leaving some options open because who the heck knows what's going to happen when they, they venture into... They haven't been able to beat Ultron or even really find or deal with Ultron in the present, uh, you know, sending those guys into the future. You know, plus, you left a bunch of people behind, both in Manhattan and now uh, in, uh, in Fury's base uh, in, uh, in Antarctica. Um, so you're, you're kind of uh, you know, setting up uh, uh, different forces and resources for what may happen. Um, Wolverine, though, I think is the you know the most pragmatic character. But even with even within that, and this is one of the things too that, that Janine and I talked about when she was going to do uh, the Wolverine and the X Men tie-in. Uh, you know, in Age of Ultron, partly because there's only so much space, um, 
uh, you know, we, 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 you almost shorthand the conversation. Uh, you know, Wolverine is going to go back and kill this guy. And this guy is, he's not a bad guy. He's a, he's a hero. He's a member of the Avengers. He didn't do any of this stuff. Um, so it's a more complicated question than just, I'm going to go back and kill Hitler. This is more like, I'm going to go back and kill Hitler's father. And Hitler might be a bad guy, but who knows? His father was just, I don't know anything about Hitler's father, but I'm sure he was a lovely man. He raised uh, baby ducks. That was, that's uh, what I know. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, does, does he deserve this, and is this the right thing to do? And so that really kind of became a seed, because I, I, tend, to, I tend to want Wolverine always to be, you know, nuanced enough that his first solution to every problem isn't just let's kill somebody, uh, I don't. I don't necessarily mind if it's let's kill the bad guys, but when it's let's kill the good guys too, you know, there's a point at which he's not really the hero anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the ambiguity of it in the in in the context of this story because the world has gone to hell. You're in a post-apocalyptic landscape, and in the same way that I think it was appropriate for Hawkeye to be using deadly force in the first issue because this is the state of the world and this is what you have to do in order to survive. I could see you know, the idea, the notion that, that things were so bad that Wolverine would take on uh, this choice. But using the, the story space that Matt had in uh, Wolverine and the X-Men to get into this a little more deeply, yeah. uh, and from Sue's point of view as well. She'd been through uh, you know, a huge amount of trauma. Her family is all dead. And, and again, the world is destroyed. The Baxter building is no more. There's a big hole there. And, and uh, you know, her loss and her choice, having come back, what does she intend to do? What does she end up doing? Uh, you know, it sort of allows us to, to create a more a richer and more nuanced exploration of that question. Yeah. Do you, how much do you think was Sue being... Um, Swayed by Wolverine, or her just truly believing in the mission that they had to take part. Um, I again, I don't, I never like to to put my finger on it, mm-hmm. um, because you know I think it's always better for the reader to kind of read the work and draw from it. You know, find their own conclusion within that, and you know, figure out where they stand. So I, I definitely have an opinion, but I don't know that I want to, I want to sure. give it out this early and say, yeah, I think it's exactly this. Yeah. You know, with all this stuff, you kind of draw your own conclusion and you make your own judgment as to what the characters do. And, you know, the characters are now going to have to face, uh, you know, the outgrowth and the aftermath of, of the actions that they've taken in their story. And that's why we have four more issues. <laughs> it's uh, a good thing, because otherwise there'd be a lot of blank pages. So many blank pages. The Avengers would just have to sit around and, you know, eat food or something. Could be compelling. They <laughs> um, uh, could play some cards. It's great. Classic. There are there are some really there's some fun pieces in the uh, Warren and the X Men issue, uh, and I like the whole butterfly effect stuff mm-hmm. that they talk about and then that they act upon. Uh, where and I don't want to get into spoilers too much in case people haven't fully read the issues, but was was that from Matt? Was that from you guys? That was from Matt. Um, you know, he really wanted to sort of talk about the. I mean, it's the what going back in time to kill Hitler. What happens after that? I mean, that's the larger question. And Sue was sort of there saying, butterfly effect, butterfly effect, remember the butterfly effect. <laughs> and so, and, and Wolverine was really internalizing that up until a point because he was like, I just can't yeah. sit back and... But yeah, he's like, oh, butterfly eats it. Another butterfly <laughs> cuts it. And then she's eventually, she's like, I'm, I'm going to eat one too. Yeah. But I think for, for Matt, it was interesting to uh, dig into who what that meant for both of them and at what point it tipped over the edge of 
okay, well, butterfly effect, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure if I don't do this, this is going to happen. So you have to weigh sort of the unknowns and and whatnot. The moral ambiguity of it, I think, was the, the, fun, the fun stuff for Matt. Nice. Was this Matt's first Marvel book? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so hmm. either. Um, it may be the first book published. I know he's been working on other stuff. Yeah. Ah, cool. yeah. Um, so he's got more things that are that are coming out or that have come out. Um, it might be his first published thing. I'm not sure. I also like don't even know from day to day what we have published yet or what we have not. So I'm constantly worried when we do these things that I'll just blurt something out and I'll be like, oh, that's not out for six months? Cool. Okay. I take it back. I take it back. Never mind. That's why we have an exclusive. intern. <laughs> right. to, to, to make sure we edit what we edit. Yeah. Also, I, gotta, I have to interrupt you here because it's a very different experience than the Ben Morris experience. Uh-uh. You've got here, you've brought in, and I'm not even sure if there's anything in it, but you've got <laughs> sitting here on the table, very, very characteristic, it's this enormous Modoc <laughs> mug. It's like the size of my head. Yeah. And it's sitting there just on the desk, <laughs> and deliberate. the thing is staring at me throughout the podcast. He's giving me... This evil eye with this big toothy Modoki grin. Is he creeping closer, I'm, Tom? I'm, is he creeping closer? I am totally ready to confess and, and rat out anybody. This is perfect. Who do you then. want the dirt on? Nick Lowe? I was Nick Lowe. Nick did it. He was I'll tell you everything. I'll give you all the details. No, Nick's no, no. the one you want. You would say that no matter what. You would say that <laughs> if if Nick was standing right here and and being really nice to you. I just think that's we need a photograph of that on the on the on the podcast. That should just be the icon for the podcast this week. That Modoc mug, because we that's, put a, it in there. that's a thing. One of our licensees makes this, and so when it first came out, people were like, "Hey, have you seen this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I already have three of them. I literally have three of them. I have one at home. I have two at home. One still in the box, and one here. So He's I'm prepared. On it. It's covered. yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. So back to the task at hand. <laughs> Reeling it back in. Keep looking at Modoc. Um, you can't not. I know. Uh, is just draw you in. So what is what is Fury's game plan going forward, and and how long do you think he has been putting this together? Um, where we see them, <laughs> I think after the end of, of Age of Ultron six, his game plan is to mostly decompose. <laughs> well, I, I, I <laughs> enrich, should say enrich the soil. I should say you know, before. kind of bring forth yeah. new life from well, his remains. So spo- spoilers <laughs> right there. So, Reverse spoilers. People yeah. who are listening to this podcast, I guess they know. They know. You're, you're, yeah. you're you're here. You're in. You're We're assuming that you have read these books. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, you know, his game plan up to last issue was really everything was was crumbling. He went to the the safe house that he had in Antarctica, and you know was hoping to build up enough of a, of a, of a force to to wage some kind of of counter offensive. Um, and eventually, the surviving heroes have now shown up, and they've you know made their foray into into the time stream to try to do that. Didn't work out so well. Might have might have been he should have waited a few days longer. But you know, you work with the best that you've got. You can't see everything, especially with only one eye. Yeah. <laughs> it was also really tickling me that past Nick Fury is out there somewhere wandering around the Savage Land wondering where he parked yeah, his car. Yeah, he's got no car. Like, what level was it? Was it blue? Was it A1? A Surely it? there's a Velociraptor yeah. out there driving my, my flying car. He keeps hitting the thing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> find it. Oh, I love it. Uh, and so Ben has on here, why does he defer, why does Nick Fury defer to Captain America as commander so quickly? 
But to me, that seems natural. Like that's cat. Yeah, particularly out in in the you know in the field or on the on the road. Uh, it's not like Nick isn't you know he's got a history. He was a sergeant. He's been a, a colonel. He's led shield guys. But Cap is Cap. You know if those two guys are on the battlefield, like on the front lines. I think you're naturally going to defer to Cap if you're talking about sort of you know running the the battlefield as a as a general or from afar or you know uh, marshaling the forces with an overall kind of a top down view. Then yeah, Nick might step up in that. But it's much more his field. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like Nick can't kick ass or, you know, fire big, crazy, cable guns, you know, either. But, you know, Cap's the guy you'd have calling the shot. Yeah. Um, at that last Captain America moment, I had to go back and look at it like three times. Bum me out. Just leaving that. <laughs> that, had to get, that had to get drawn a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah? Yeah, there were there some other versions of that. There are some other versions. Interesting. Um, some more revelatory versions that... <laughs> Right, what, is, what is the rating on Age of Ultron? <laughs> I guess that says a lot. Yeah. Um, so how does the scene of Hank Pym using over Dragon Man sum him up as a character? Um, well, I don't know about how, it, in terms of just sum him up as a, as a character per se, I don't know that the, the one scene completely encompasses him, but it gives you a window sort of into what, where he's at at that point uh, in his life. Um, you know, to some degree, Hank, for better or worse, uh, has always kind of been almost a second-class citizen among the, the early Marvel heroes. You know, he was the, 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 the character that was created in those days that really didn't stick for all that we love him and for all that he's been around for all that time. You know, he was the guy whose series ended after a lot of, you know, back and forth, and they would change his identity every every so often and you know try to find ways to make him you know more relevant and make him really stick and so that i think comes out in the you know in in the voice of the character here you know he he looks at tony stark and his accomplishments and he looks at reed richards and his accomplishments and he and he's you know a guy that's just as as smart uh and has just as many you know breaks or advantages and somehow he hasn't quite made the same breakthrough or the same uh, uh, you know, put the same uh, 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 positive uh, uh, advancement to the world that his contemporaries and peers have, and so I think he's sort of you know driven to to to, to try and make up that deficit and be that guy, uh, and that leads him down the road to to uh, you know uh, unraveling Ultron, um, which doesn't work out so good. <laughs> no, but you know you kind of get a sense there. Uh, you know that he's looking to make that next step. He's he's uh, you know looking to find more in himself and to do more and to be more than he had been before this. Mm-hmm. Who's uh, whose direction for the look of the future? That the one that they're all sort of like, whoa, this is this is this looks cool. It's also <laughs> hell, but it looks yeah. cool. Who's was that? Brian. That's you? Brian. Yeah, that's Brian. Uh, that all that was all in the script. I mean, the art direction, yeah, you know, the the basic you know description of it, and certainly all of those uh, lines from Tony, that all came from Brian, and then Brandon just you know visualized it from that. So yeah. all the actual depictions of the you know big landscapes and crazy Ultron cities and flying head robots and things, all all that came from Brando. Yeah, it's it, like the perfect you know teamwork right yeah. there. Like it just it was solid. Cool. It was really cool. Um, so th- I think we've really hit on Ben's stuff. I'm going to skip over the rest of his questions. Go right into fan questions. Because <laughs> um, you know what? Whatever. And uh, the first one is from The Needs of Many. 
Alien Princess says, I assume that since the Savage Land has not been taken over by Ultron, there are still places untouched by him. In other words, I assume that Ultron has not taken over the entire Earth yet? Um, as we saw in issue 5, where uh, we saw a, a uh, an Ultron assault on, I think it was Texas. And I, the reason I say I think it was Texas was that between when we were plotting the issue and when the final issue went out, as we talked about on the last podcast, uh, that locale actually changed. Um, but uh, I believe it was Texas getting assaulted by Ultron forces. So yes, absolute, not absolutely every uh, bit of the Earth has been you know destroyed and wiped out and ground under Ultron's heel. Most of the the you know bigger uh, uh, not necessarily population areas, but uh, you know centers of, of uh, government or resistance and so forth were, were the things that were hit first. And from there, like, there's not a heck of a lot of, of importance or need that, that Ultron has to subdue the Savage Land. The dinosaurs are not organizing against him. And even if they were, they don't have opposable thumbs. So, uh, you know, you can get to them last, and, and it, it's probably going to be okay. Um, you know, that's the difference between the, the uh, Age of Ultron of the present and the Age of Ultron of the future, which, as far as we can tell is pretty much all yeah. all Ultron. One big, uh, uh, spiky-headed, earring-wearing head floating <laughs> in space. Lovely. Uh, so I assume you guys get a bunch of these types of questions. Uh, but is it this, about the boots? No, it's not. I get a lot of questions about boots. I've heard tell about the boot questions. <laughs> uh, is this a true fact? I don't know anything about this. It is. It is. What kind of questions about boots? Why are the boots wrong? Why is he wearing the wrong oh, boots? Right, why cool. is that? Why is his belt wrong? Don't you know this is Marvel now? Now why is why is his uh, shoulder drawn differently? That I don't understand how this all fits together. I, the boots are a big thing, Janine. Got it. Sort of in Pay that attention vein. To the boots. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay. Is is Age of Ultron going to be in, uh, going to tie into the Descendant story from Secret Avengers? What Rick Remender wrote. Um, also, what happened to all the Deathlocks? So there's two things going on there, two continuity-type questions. Right, and, and those are good continuity-type questions. The answer is, uh, one, no, it's not going to tie into the de- Descendant stuff uh, that Rick did. A good story, a fine story, but a separate story. Uh, and all the Deathlocks were really kind of more connected to that and connected to you know, the, the, the various uh, stories that Rick has been doing to begin with. They came from a future. I don't know that that future is the Age of Ultron future. Presumably, they're not there anymore, because <laughs> Ultron has taken everything over. Um, so, uh, they're uh, they're all gone too. Sad. It's a sad day. Sad day. For Deathlock. Ross Monroe is For asking... <laughs> Ross Monroe is asking about the uh, Ultron Victor Mancha book, um, and asking if that That's right. could be a spin-off from AU, from Age of Ultron. Uh, loved the first issue. Wanted to read more. Oh, great! Well, uh, yeah, we're very happy that you uh, that you liked it. Um, yeah, certainly it's a little treat for uh, those uh, many readers who've been asking for more uh, Runaways and Runaways connected uh, material. Um, we're not planning to specifically do a Victor book, but he is going to be a part of, and yeah, you know, we've announced this uh, already. Yet he is going to be a part of it, a player in the Avengers AI book that's coming out of the uh, back half of uh, Age of Ultron. So you will see Victor some more again there uh, and in a similar sort of fashion as you do in that uh, lovely one-shot that Catherine Eminent wrote. Terrific. Uh, Sean Nakamoto tweeted that Wolverine and the X-Men Age of Ultron was Excelsior. Uh, Love the throwback art. Were the panels all done by the same artist? 
Uh, no, they were done by the original artists. So it was Jack Kirby and and. Do this, Janine. Yeah. I can. I can do it. I can make it happen. Jack Kirby and Joe. You're right. on it. Yeah. Sinat. Joe Sinnott. Yes, that's Nailed right. It for the FF stuff. That's right. Uh, and it was nope. Gonna have to help me out. John Buscema. John Buscema and George. Uh, George Rousseau. On the Avengers stuff. I could have looked at it. I have the credits right here, but I did not look. That's right. Good for you. Did it the honest way. I I half did it the honest way. All those those panels, uh, all those images were pulled from the the books of the the era. So they're from Avengers 42, and they're from Fantastic Four 65, I think it is. Yeah, and Matt went through and picked, in the script, he picked every panel specifically for the placement he was like you know okay and in this panel we're going to drop this panel from this issue and then we're going to put this balloon in it and sort of to sort of give new context to the scene in in this uh new era that we're seeing it in um and in our bullpen Edette Winnicore did such an amazing job she went through she pulled all of them cleaned them up a little bit made sure that they cropped right for the panels it was amazing she did such an awesome job yeah no it was it was great um so Sean also notes that Uatu shows up in Wolverine number two, which is another one of your books, mm-hmm. um, and wants to know if we'll see him or any other cosmic characters in Age of Ultron. Well, those two things are totally not connected to each right. Other. But right, I think right. oh, yeah. I think that leads. You know, he's like he was. He sees Uatu show up. Yeah, he's in one book. So then that got him thinking: Are there chances to see cosmic? There, characters? there. Yeah, you know, there's there's four issues left. <laughs> We're going to have to put somebody in them. We keep killing all the Marvel heroes off. Um, so, so the odds get better and better every single issue. Uh, Sean, but you have to wait and see. Yes. Uh, yeah, he, he asked about Kang. I think it's the same thing. You never know. Well, with Kang, actually, yes. Oh, well, look Kang, at that. Uh, you know, and again, if you've been paying attention to our solicits, and if you haven't, God bless you because you're reading the comics right, but if you're like most people and have... Uh, you'll know that uh, Kang is involved in the Uncanny Avengers 8 Ow issue that is coming up uh, in a few weeks, week or two, actually, two or three weeks, um, that uh, Rick Remender and Jerry Dugan and Adam Kubert are doing. He's right there, real big on the cover, along with the Apocalypse Twins. Uh, you will find him there and his uh, connection and intersection point to Age of Ultron. Nice. Um I think the uh, the last one from Sean, he said, uh, you know, Sue and Logan make a great team together, uh, great duo. Is this their first team-up? I don't know if, it's the, if that, that it's their first team-up, you know, relatively, which is to say the Fantastic Four and the X-Men have gotten together. You know, we've yeah. seen probably scenes that they've both been in before. I don't know that there are any other stories uh, where it's just the two of them, or even like... You know, segments of stories where all the characters split up to do different missions or whatever, and yeah. they go off together. Uh, and that's one of the things that that hopefully makes it interesting. It's two characters that you're not used to seeing together, who who don't have, for all that they've been around the Marvel universe for years, don't have yet a real developed relationship. Um, and and you're not used to seeing them in context to one another. They've both got a, a very different point of view. And, you know, you put them in a story and watch them bounce off of one another and see how they they impact on one another. When I first read that, uh, the Age of Ultron 6 script um, that had them, I actually saw them interacting 
in that way for the first time, like just the two of them alone sort of dealing with stuff. I was shocked at how I was like, oh, this is actually perfect. Like, mm-hmm. th- this is perfect. Their personalities complement each other so well. They're so, so much more alike than you would think in some ways and then complete opposite in mm-hmm. other ways. Um, I love, because usually I like to think of Wolverine as sort of this father figure. Like, uh, sometimes he's like the annoyed old man, dad figure, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and... I liked I liked that sort of turn where Sue was sort of like, all right, all right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> relax a little bit. Um, so I just really liked them. When I read that, it was like totally crystallized in my head how their relationship would play out. That's cool. Uh, we got a bunch of exclamatory tweets from folks. Uh, Eric Almarez says, just got done reading book six, and all I can say is, all caps, wow, WTF. So you got that. You got, right. you got some WTFs. WTF. Uh, One Patriot Copyright says... Copyright 2013 DC Comics. <laughs> All rights reserved. Oh, I see. I wouldn't have even thought about that. Uh, One Patriot says, I just read Age of Ultron 6. There are four more issues plus tie-ins. There because, are. Dang. Because dang. Because dang. That's going to be my new go-to. It should be. It's funny, it's funny that you know, you're, like you're hitting these today because just this morning... Over on the the my little form spring thing that's now over on Tumblr, I got a question from a guy who basically it was a very nicely worded question. You know, a guy who he's not digging Age of Ultron. He said mm-hmm. he wrote like like I'm I'm not liking it, and I've looked all over creation, and I can't find another person who likes it. So could you like maybe you got to do what you usually do here and like you know, post a a thing and you know ask for people who like it to show up and explain why. <laughs> And so this podcast is his answer. You know, you've got a whole yeah. string of, of, of tweets and communications and emails from people who absolutely are uh, into the story. Yeah. Well, the one Patriot wants to buy an Ultron Omnibus after this is over. Wants well, an Age we, of Ultron Omnibus. We, uh, you know, it's not impossible that we'll do one of those, particularly if anybody on Earth mentions it to <laughs> David Gabriel. So, he does uh, love money. Yes, he does. <laughs> and Omnibuses. He yeah. just likes big books. Yeah. So, uh, uh, not uh, not out of the question. I mean, just doing just doing the main series alone is is ten issues, most of which were bigger than normal. So yep. you're gonna get a big book no matter what. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he takes a little swerve and goes to in issue one, page twenty four. It looks like Thing is laying in a bunk, but in issue five, Wolverine says he's dead. Ellipses? Question mark. Yeah, wasn't Thing in the bunk. That was somebody else. Dun dun dun. Or just, it was somebody else. Somebody else. Uh, all right. Last couple, we've got uh, Vince Mancuso says, How the heck did Ultron take down the Hulk and Thor, but not Red Hulk? I think he just didn't uh, didn't pay enough attention to Red Hulk. <laughs> Poor Red Hulk. Oh, no. yeah. oh, Red Hulk was oh, dead. Yeah. Just, he was like the Texas of, of, of superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get to him eventually, but... He's not, not in the top ten, necessarily, no. that you go after. Do we think there are any other disparate X-Men out there who may have been overlooked there by are, There are so many X-Characters that I think it's almost... They're, they're, like, they're, they're everywhere. In every nook and cranny, under every rock, behind every corner. I'm sure somewhere out there, there must be other, other uh, you know, mutant-based survivors. I'm going to pitch my Age of Ultron Jubilee ongoing series <laughs> after this. Nice. She's a vampire in a world of robots. The Come conflict on, writes itself. right there? It's, yeah. There it. you go. There you go. Done. She can't be detected by heat signatures. Yeah. And... Done and done. <laughs> wow. Guys, 
Go to secret print on hero. this right now. Secret hero of Age of Ultron. <laughs> that should be Age of Ultron's secret hero. Yeah. All right, last one from <laughs> at SSJCR65. After reading Age of Ultron number six, why was Avengers number 42 chosen specifically as the as that point? And I think we touched on that a bit at the beginning of the podcast, but that's a good way to, to wrap it up. Sure, sure. Um, Avengers 42 is the point, you know, continuity-wise, uh, after which Hank creates Ultron. We actually see this in a flashback in Avengers 58 about a year later in the book. Um, you know, it's a, it, you know, the the the, uh, the Avengers have battled Ultron. They've encountered the Vision. They're trying to figure out what the story of the Vision's uh, origin is and backstory, where he came from, and so forth. And you know, they use this mind probe or whatever, and they flash back to this point where uh, Hank created the first Ultron, who looked like a, a Hoover vacuum cleaner on a tripod or something, and you know, who woke up and like blasted him and erased his mind and you know, ran off to improve himself and make himself Ultron 2 and Ultron 3 and so forth. Um, so this, you know, historically, chronologically is where that happened. Um, so, uh, you know, we keyed into Avengers 42 and uh, all the stuff that was going on that month in the Marvel Universe. It's pretty cool. There was, a, there was an appearance by one of those old Ultrons in one of the books. Was it the main book or one of the tie-ins? It was like in a sewer oh, yeah. chasing after someone. Yeah, it was in uh, um, uh, Avengers Assemble. Avengers yeah. Assemble 14. Ow! Ow! We had... Uh... This is every time, by the way. This is not just for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it is pronounced. <laughs> yeah, we had some uh, uh, little little rolling Ultron uh, Sentinel guys. That's great. We looked like Ultron 1. Yeah. Right back to the beginning. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Um, again... More questions and comments from you guys. Use the hashtag this week in Marvel AU after you read the next tie-ins and, and issues. And uh, follow Tom at Tom Brevoort on Twitter and Janine at J9 Schaefer on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back with more next week or in two weeks. I can't remember when the next issue hits. <laughs> uh, we haven't gotten our bundles yet. That's how I gauge right. everything. <laughs> uh, it's th- coming sooner than you think. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way. This is Marvel, your universe.